On the Healthy Human Revolution podcast, Dr. Lori Marbus interviews nutrition and lifestyle medicine experts and extraordinary guests whose informative and inspiring stories will empower you with the knowledge to transform your life and health. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marbus, and I'm so excited. One of my favorite people, Dr. Kim Williams, is joining us today. How are you, sir? Great. How are you? Good. Um, it's just so fun always to talk to you. Oh my goodness. So thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. Well, fantastic. Great to be here. Oh, wonderful. Well, I've been looking forward to this for some time and I am going to just dive right in and begin asking some questions about, we really want to focus in on the cholesterol because as a primary care physician doing telemedicine and lifestyle medicine in general, that is one of the biggest concerns of patients, which I'm sure you're very well aware of. Um, how do we even begin a cholesterol evaluation? So if we have, you know, if the patient's going in, what questions should they be expecting for someone who's trying to look at a preventive holistic approach through medicine and lifestyle medicine, where should we be looking? Like, what are those really important factors that we should be focused on? So in terms of cholesterol management specifically, I mean, first of all, we have learned over the years to take it in the context of overall risk. Um, when we first got, oh, it's really been about almost, eight, seven, seven years since our guidelines came out and said that we should be using, you know, cholesterol medicines after lifestyle and that we should be, uh, you know, focused on that lifestyle, particularly when people are at sort of a lower risk. And when they're at high risk, they still get lifestyle. It's just that you may need to add some medications on. We set up um, a, a website that anybody can look up, okay? Okay, that's the 20, the 2013 guidelines is actually where this first started, believe it or not. Oh, awesome. We've had several versions, but the, but the very first one that said, oh, you know, that stuff about an LDL level of 70, we're throwing that out. We are now uh, starting to just use statins for people uh, whose cholesterol doesn't come down. Uh, but anyone who has disease is going to need that management. Um, so it was, it was groundbreaking in several fashions, but one of them was the use of a risk calculator. Mm-hmm. And people said, oh, that risk calculator is just going to make us use more drugs. Now, I actually was taking some people off of drugs. They had an mm-hmm. LDL of 165, which we used to say anything above 160, you have to treat. Um, then the newest guideline said, no, really 190, because at 190, the odds of you having a bad gene, and it might be in a real so-called heterozygous familial hyperlipidemia or uh, just a bad gene for high cholesterol, mm-hmm. you, was actually starting to get pretty high. So instead of one in 500, it would be 3% of these people. So 190 is a reasonable cutoff to just start therapy because we know that the outcome really is going to depend on drugs plus uh, plus lifestyle to get the LDL cholesterol as low as possible, uh, without which the person's going to have an earlier demise than they otherwise would. Their survival, avoidance of cardiac events is related to the area under the lifetime cholesterol curve, LDL. Mm. Um, so, so that's really where we, where we started. And I, I would say that um, we try to do a full assessment. Is the person diabetic? Is the person hypertensive, age, gender, um, and uh, ethnicity you know, with African-Americans having in some cases almost twice the risk of, uh, of a non-African-American. And so once we have a risk-based analysis, it tells you, you know, this person really needs therapy, but none of those uh, 
risk calculators or medications absolves the patient <laughs> from right. doing everything they can to improve their outcome with lifestyle. It's something mm. that has to go first. Um, and we should be doing it all the time, but sometimes measuring the cholesterol will actually give the person the energy and the interest to actually learn what it is that they're supposed to do to get their cholesterol down and therefore lower their risk. Okay, that makes a lot of sense for sure. And so when you're looking at labs, is it, so you mentioned total cholesterol and LDL, are, is, mm -hmm. should both those be taken into account or should one take prefer, you know, some type of precedence over the other? So I hope your broadcast goes out to millions. Yes, <laughs> yes. Every once in a while, there's a thing where that happens uh, that kind of like stops you in your tracks and say, my goodness, how do we have this wrong for 60 years? So one of those happened in the last couple of years and most people have not heard about it uh, and they need to. And that is the so-called uh, happy cholesterol, HDL, high density lipoprotein, which is supposed to be reverse cholesterol transport. You know, so, something was funny in that all of the big manufacturers of drugs were working on raising HDL cholesterol. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, every time they did that, it didn't show any benefit and frequently it would actually show harm. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out the Can Heart uh, publication from really just a couple of years ago and Copenhagen trials both showed what really our jaws just dropped, that the higher HDL you have, the more heart attacks you have. Really? And people just don't know this. They're still saying, well, your total cholesterol is high, but your age still is, okay, is high, therefore you're okay. Not true. Oh, wow. And so anything above about 80 in men and above 100 in women actually increases. So that U-shaped, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the lower part was true. That is the lower your HDL, the more heart attacks you have. But we didn't understand that it was a, it was a U-shaped curve. And so I'm hoping that everyone hears that and they stop telling people that you're safe because your HDL was, you know, X, Y, Z, it's above normal. Oh, wow. Now, what that means is that you basically throw out everything. Okay. Non-HDL cholesterol is worthless, particularly okay. if the HDL is high, okay? okay? Which means the total cholesterol is worthless and you really ought to focus on the LDL. And we were fine with that until last month. Oh, oh until last month. Oh, great. Yeah, okay. It was a huge publication, reanalysis of a lot of data that said that it actually is the stuff that we've been ignoring, the IDL and VLDL, the intermittent density lipoprotein and the very low density lipoprotein that correlate best in their data set with cardiac events. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, now, to, to, be, to be honest, this may be why the vegan doctors were doing so well. Mm. Because vegan doctors would always get the LDL down. And very frequently, if the patient switched over from uh, eating animals to eating a lot of carbohydrates, particularly refined carbohydrates, the triglycerides would go up. And then we would just battle, clean up the diet, do the exercise, get the triglycerides down. So one fifth of the triglycerides is roughly what your VLDL is. And so we're actually able you know, with lifestyle to control triglycerides. Every time somebody comes in with even an upper normal one, it's supposed to be 100 up to 150. I like them in double digits. If you got three digits, we're gonna have a conversation. Okay, is that alcohol? Was it fried food? Was it an animal? Is it refined carbohydrates? And people don't recognize that refined carbohydrates are everywhere. They think that that bagel is healthy. 
and they think that a pretzel is okay, you know, just wipe the salt off the cover. But no, it turns out that uh, the, these refined grains uh, will generate such a high glucose response, insulin response, raise the triglycerides, and now we find out that they are very important. I mean, we had little hints, um, you know, and particularly in bypass surgery patients, high triglycerides, more graft occlusion. So, you know, we probably should have been a little bit more suspicious, but for the right. most part, we've got this really intense relationship. I mean, draw a, lin draw a linear relationship between LDL cholesterol and cardiac events that we didn't really need much else. I mean, yeah, we know that lowering it doesn't get, didn't get rid of all the problems. Mm -hmm. And therefore there was Dr. Ritker and inflammation. And then the, um, that's at Harvard. And then at Cleveland Clinic, you had TMAO mm -hmm. from Stan Hazen's group, uh, mm -hmm. all of which of the inflammation and the trimethylamine in oxide TMAO occur when you eat animals. So another reason that the people who were doing plant-based medicine were helping the patients. So it's not just, it's not just LDL, it's inflammation, TMAO, and triglycerides with NBL. Wow. Oh my goodness. So when a doctor like myself gets a patient and they're like, I've been on a whole food plant-based diet five years, 10 years, whatever, but they have persistent elevated total cholesterol, persistent elevated LDL, let's say like low 100s and triglycerides most of the time are actually under 100 or up maybe a low 100s. What do you do with something like that? Maybe they're not diabetic, but they're eating this healthy way pretty well. Um, where would you begin that conversation with them? Or would you even, uh, what would you do? Absolutely. Um, so you're always annoyed by those people who go look at their phone. No, I'm actually doing this for you. Yeah, I, I appreciate you. Okay. okay. One second. Let my me get you. daughter and I playing chess. Can, can you, are you able to see it? Okay. Yes. This is the ACC AHA risk calculator. Anyone can pull it out. Um, and download it. And um, it's a wonderful party tool if we ever have parties again, you know, but we're doing them by Zoom. Uncle Joe, tell me your last cholesterol. What was your blood pressure? Are you diabetic? And by the, uh, you collect all that information, plug it into the computer and you tell them, oh my gosh, Uncle Joe, your cardiovascular risk, 17.8% risk of having a heart attack, stroke and death in the next 10 years, you better go see your doctor. Mm. And so, uh, so the, really that is the best answer to your questions. It's actually um, embedded in most people who have Epic and, and other vendors I imagine have programmed it in by now. And so all of the data that you're putting in there, the blood pressure, the cholesterol, everything, and whether in diabetes in their problem list, for example, will populate the, the risk calculator for you and you can just hit a command and pop it out. Mm. And so then what do we do with that risk, that 10 year risk? Mm -hmm. um, we have generally drawn um, a line in the sand that if someone, like you just, you said, they've been doing the diet, they've been doing their exercise, and they still have these elevations in cholesterol, if you, based on their ethnicity and gender and uh, age uh, and other diseases, if their uh, risk with a high cholesterol is less than less than 5%, you just keep telling, you tell them to keep doing the lifestyle stuff. If it's between five and 7.5%, we need to have a conversation, which I'll return to. If it's above 7.5%, we generally say, you know, if you've been doing everything you can, it's time to start using medications, okay? And if you really don't want the medications, which so many of our patients don't want, mm -hmm. kind of bizarre, by the way, I'm gonna interject, inter interrupt myself. There's so many anti-statin vegan doctors and anti-statin vegan patients 
Right. And I just have a few things to say. Number one, please. I work for Medicare for four years. You get to see the budgetary constraint there. Do you know why they're dying on the vine financially? Because of statins. People are not well and people are not dead. And so you're, you're <laughs> killing the payer. You're just killing them. Okay. They're not <laughs> dead and they're not well. Number two, if you take the big manufacturer of the original um, Atorvastatin, I don't say brand names on, on, on the air if I can avoid gotcha. it. Gotcha. Um, everybody knows who they are. They made $2 billion off that wow. drug in 2019. So wow. tell me how you make $2 billion off of a toxic drug. You can't, wow. it's just not gonna happen. So wow. people who say the statins are bad for you just aren't looking at the data. Now, mm. do they, are there side effects? Absolutely. It's usually uh, muscle symptoms and those myalgias. We have great algorithms. There's actually an app for your phone for statin intolerance, okay? <laughs> but needless to say, we don't use them unless we need to. And so we do have a lot of people who would prefer not to do it. And that's when we're doing lifestyle. If they're doing all the lifestyle, then we really should have this conversation. Okay. Mm. So uh, if they're above 20% 10 year risk, they just need to go on the drug. And if they can't do that, then do some other drug, but you have to get the LDL cholesterol. Mm. Okay. Now between five and 20%, the people uh, who you want to put them on, but they don't want it for some reason, uh, or they're asking you for it and you don't want to put them on it because they're, you know, 5.6 or so they're a little below 7.5. Mm -hmm. That's where we use the additional information. And I can tell you that there, there's different varieties that people will do. One is advanced lipid testing. Tell me what your uh, small dense LDL particles are like. Uh, tell me what, you know, your uh, LP little a, uh, which is usually genetic. It's a genetic issue. Uh, do you have other kind of cholesterol risk that's going to benefit from this therapy? Now, it turns out that statins don't lower LP little a, and they say diet doesn't, but we've done a couple of trials, both myself and Baxter Montgomery, who you know, both have had vegan interventions in our African-American uh, patients that reduce the LP little a by 10%. That may not be a lot if it's really elevated, but at least it's some. So it's mm -hmm. not exactly diet unresponsive. But if you have those extra risk factors, even if the LPA little a doesn't go down, you want to lower the LDL and that's why you start the statin. Mm. Okay, so that's one set. The next set do I actually mentioned, and that would be inflammation. Check your high sensitivity C-reactive protein. Mm. And if that's elevated, the risk is almost double of what it would be given the LDL elevation. Therefore, that person probably needs additional therapy. You don't get a lot of CRP elevations in people who are plant-based mm -hmm. uh, exercising uh, because that's one of the first things that's been shown. You get, it's an anti-inflammatory diet and you're protecting yourself. Even when your LDL looks like it's not so good, your C-reactive protein is really good. And then you could say, you know, well, you, your extra tests are not so bad. Mm -hmm. There are a couple other, one of them uh, got dinged yesterday uh, in the news. Um, and that is uh, carotid intimal thickness. Mm. One that we had been kind of relying on. It wasn't our favorite test because of the reported high variability of it and really depends on who's doing it and who's reading it and what angles that they get. So carotid thickness as a measure of plaque may not be the best. And what happened yesterday is the publication of an opinion by the United States um, uh, uh, Preventive Task Force, USPTF, mm -hmm. saying that carotid ultrasound is worthless, quit doing it. Oh, wow. We still have trucks going around to places and doing carotid ultrasound. 
And they also do, you know, your abdominal looking for aortic aneurysm. And yeah, it's pretty much worthless unless you're that one person <laughs> that they find that six centimeter abdominal aneurysm. Right. And that until they did their little Cochrane analysis, we thought that finding a high-grade stenosis, um, you've, you know, whether you can hear something there, uh, asymptomatic carotid brui, we were always worried about those. It turns out that if you, if you look carefully at the literature, and obviously I think the Society of Vascular um, Surgery uh, and Vascular Medicine actually are kind of trying to rebut it, and I'd love to see how that plays out. But right now they're saying that they do more harm than good because people end up getting tests and therapies um, for their carotid for things that were never going to go bad. And all they needed to do was do medical therapy like you would anywhere. If you had peripheral artery disease or cerebrovascular atherosclerosis, coronary, any of them, you would be doing, you know, what I call SAVE. That four letters stands for statin, aspirin, vegan diet, and an exercise program. And so, Excellent. okay. And so, uh, so why would you go doing car carotid interventions and taking that little risk that you're going to break something off and have a stroke? So it might be a little harsh to say nobody ever should give this test, right. um, but it's something people should be looking out for. And it's probably not going to be the next machine that I buy, that's for sure. <laughs> okay. So I've saved the best for last, um, and that is coronary calcium scoring. Mm. Uh, this is something that everybody should know about it. If you've never heard of it, um, there is a, a, a great way of sort of inundating yourself, it's, even though it's six years old now. It's on Netflix. It's called Widowmaker. Yes, it's a good one. It's a good movie. And yes. so it talks about all of the politics surrounding why it took so long to get to where it is now. It yeah. is now, and maybe because of that movie, it actually is now in our ACC and AHA guidelines to do coronary calcium score, scoring when you're in that reluctant zone. That is the person who, I'm, who, who I think that they, I don't think they really need it. Uh, they're below 7.5%, but they're above 5%. So I'm a little worried. Uh, I can get the coronary calcium score. If the coronary calcium score is zero, the power of zero in the MESA trial was so good. We're talking about 10-year risk of about six out of uh, 1,000 or 0.6%. That is really hard to reproduce with any other cardiology test. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. And so we really should be doing much more in the coronary calcium scoring. Wow. And so uh, on the other side of it, if a person has extremely high risk uh, above 20%, we kind of say a negative coronary calcium score doesn't absolve you because, you know, your thing, bad things are going to happen. You, we, the, the coronary calcium score does miss soft plaque. It's relying on calcified plaque. Um, but below 20, if someone's, you know, 19%, that's extremely high, but they don't want their statin and they get a negative coronary calcium score, we at least have some basis for saying, mm. yeah, you don't need a statin, keep doing the, the lifestyle. So, you know, I, it, it's, uh, it's a powerful test and I hope that when people are thinking prevention and lipidology, they'll use a lot more of the coronary calcium score. What if they have a, a CAC score of like between less than 100, does that mean anything or is it like zero or all or nothing type thing? So it's interesting um, that <laughs> that is an area where you won't get a lot of agreement. So where okay. do you, you get agreement at zero, you get agreement at about 300. Right. All, the, all the hands in the room would say, would you treat this patient? They all go up if you're 300. Um, most, based on small amounts of data, um, most people would say that the, the risk between one to 10 is so low that you could have a good conversation 
about it. Above 10, 10 to 100, that conversation gets a little more intense. And above 100, most people would go ahead and treat. Gotcha. It, you know, I, I obviously, um, when I see that calcium score that's not zero, I always look at it myself. Mm. And one of the reasons that I do that is that the, uh, the coronary calcium score is based on a technology of how of dense plaque that's calcified. And that dense plaque has a score. Mm. And that's if you, and we sort of set the cutoff, and this is a standard that goes back, you know, 1984 or 83. So, I mean, almost 30 years. And Arthur Agustin um, the, was the leader in that area. And they, for reproducibility, they set the cutoff at 130 Hounsfield units. That's mm. how dense the, the calcium has to be before it actually shows up on the score. Well, suppose it's 129. Well, we know that that, that lipid-laden pla plaque can be like up to 50, okay? And then when it starts to fibrose, it might go to 75. And then when it starts laying down some calcium, it might go to 100. So I actually do look at all of the scans and look for the non-calcified plaque, if there's any that's, that, uh, you know, that's a, you, you can't necessarily see the low density plaque on that test, uh, but you certainly can see the ones that are approaching 130. Uh, and so I, I use that as, as a, a accessory information. The other thing about it, uh, since I'm on a rant <laughs> talking about coronary calcium scoring, is that everybody should know about it and should look at it. And if I could change the guidelines, it would be to actually uh, have everyone look at it for where it is. Because coronary disease, like pitching and baseball and real estate, is location, 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 right? <laughs> That is, if you've got a few ditzels and it's down at the tip of the heart um, near the apex, if something happens down there, you'll probably never know it. It won't be a big deal. But if it's up there at the top in the left main or in what we call the proximal LAD, left anterior mm. descending, the, the one artery with a nickname that we mentioned already, Widowmaker. Mm. Well, it turns out that when you get your calcium score, it just gives you left main, left anterior descending, right coronary artery, and circumflex. Well, I want to know, is it in the, not just don't tell me if, if it's in the branches, uh, but how high up is it? And mm. so uh, I think we could do more in that area by guiding people if we could tell them where it is, not just how much it is. Mm. Oh my goodness, there's so much there. So I'm, <laughs> I've got another, just, that was fantastic. Thank you. And so I, I do have a question for some uh, a patient that I saw very recently and he knew I was going to interview you. And he, I, I think it would be a warning. He told me I could talk about his specific case. And it's a young gentleman, 40, African-American, and um, had um, he, they couldn't do any interventions uh, with stents or anything. And he had a heart attack last year, very quickly transitioned over to a whole food plant-based diet, salt-free, oil-free, doing everything right. His cardiologist had him on a very high dose statin well, his liver became very inflamed. Um, I mean, three, four times high normal and they would lower the dose, the liver calmed down. And then within a few weeks, it got, went back up and he's having this bounce down. And so his cardiologist stopped the statin. And so here's a gentleman who's done very well. He's lost 50 pounds. He's no longer hypertensive. His cholesterol is, it's been on the statin less than a hundred, the total cholesterol. The LDL was like 20 something. It was very, very low. Um, and now that they just recently stopped this down, we don't know what that'll bounce back up to. He's not having any angina. They, he's moving forward. 
what would you do with someone like that? Um, would you just monitor the liver enzymes? What, what would in that scenario, you have someone who had it, can't tolerate a statin, has the lower cholesterol, what would you be thinking? So, so many things to unpack there, but let's start <laughs> at the beginning. Yes. Why couldn't they do the standard therapy during a heart attack? And when they say they couldn't be stented, that's that could be two completely different things. Mm. One is it was so-called hit and run, which is more common in women than men, where you have a plaque, it ruptures, you clot on top of it. And then by the time you've gotten your aspirin and you get to the cath lab and that first dose of dye goes in and boom, it's gone and all, you see nothing. And mm. then they say, oh, you had a heart attack, but we can't do anything mm. because there's it, nothing to do. He said it was two torturous vessels or where it was happening. That's That's... That yeah, I, that's a tough one. Um, but the other side of it is, you've got so much plaque mm. that you're beyond bypass surgery. You're beyond stenting, and you've got so much plaque that nothing can be done. So mm. your thinking is more in the milder case, or more. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I I didn't. He didn't necessarily give me that information. I don't have any reports. But I would. I'm assuming that's the more milder case. Let's go okay. with that direction. Okay, so so yes, you want to stabilize that plaque that ruptured. Okay, mm. and the best way to do that is to get the LDL down below 55. That's the new ESC guideline, mm. and and this actually, uh, if they if they have a, an LDL of 25, you should be able to find a dose that doesn't have the uh, hepatotoxicity. Mm -hmm. He got down to 10 and still had an issue. Okay, but 10 of which? Uh, he had the atorvastatin. Uh, Atorvastatin. Okay, so resuvastatin, five milligrams Monday, Wednesday, Wednesday, Friday. I would do that, and that's my last ditch. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It increases the liver enzymes, then we, I think, we're pretty much done with statins. Now, uh, one of the things that we have to recognize that so much of what we thought was uh, liver, until about 2012, when the FDA of all people said, "Can you guys please stop checking liver enzymes mm. and muscle enzymes? It's not worth the money. Uh, it just doesn't happen very much." Uh, and I had been doing a, a, every patient, every visit. And, right. and, and then I looked back and said, oh, they can't be right. And oh my gosh, they're right. <laughs> These are completely <laughs> worthless. When's the last time I stopped somebody because of an uh, uh, elevated uh, CK or liver enzymes? Mm -hmm. So that would be one. Uh, the experience agreed with the FDA. Mm -hmm. Number two is that I think that time period where we were doing them, we were missing a lot of hepatitis C. Mm. They did measure, I believe, his hepatitis panel, and that was negative. So good, good, good. Okay. So, uh, and in the mo modern times, we don't miss it as much, and we've seen the incidence of, of uh, liver enzyme elevation with statins go down because people, they, because it never was the statin. It was right. Okay. okay. But but if it goes up and down with the statin, you can mm -hmm. feel pretty good uh, saying that it's the statin. So then you start thinking about non-statin therapies. Okay, so mm -hmm. the ones that I'll, I'll mention them first because they're out there, they're mm -hmm. in the literature, they have randomized trials showing that they reduce cholesterol, mm -hmm. but they, what they don't have is outcome studies. You're mm -hmm. sort of assuming that if the LDL goes down, things are going to go well. Mm -hmm. But that would be berberine mm -hmm. okay, and, and tablets, right? Um, uh, bergamot. My favorite tea is, is made the out Earl of- Grey. Earl Grey, yes. Absolutely. Uh -huh. um, Brazil nuts, okay, yes. has a randomized trial. Indian gooseberry. Yamla. Psyllium, mm -hmm. that is like, uh, oh, I'm sorry to say a brand name. Psyllium. Psyllium. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay. It's a, it's a husk, psyllium husk. Oh, psyllium husk. Got it. Uh-huh. Okay. And so I don't want to say a brand name. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. That's fine. They usually use it for constipation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But it, it grabs, it's, it's basically soluble fiber. Yeah. So it grabs onto the cholesterol and it goes in the stool. And right. so those, the issue is you just don't see a lot of outcome trials. You see LDL lowering, but not outcome trials. Then you have azetamide, which yes. is the Neiman-Pick-like enzyme one in the small bowel. And that does have some positive trials, particularly um, in combination with a low-dose statin. Mm-hmm. And, and that combination, so-called, uh, instead of brand name. <laughs> okay. So azetamide-statin combination. Uh, does have some uh, in select populations. It's also failed in other populations. Hmm. Um, then you've got a new one uh, called bempedoic acid, which uh, lowers cholesterol. It's been out about 18 months, maybe. Okay. And so it's relatively new on the market. I don't see a lot of market share, and that's mostly because people are pretty darn well, doing well with the statin. Hmm. And it's coming into the market at a time when people sort of have it in their mind that if a person is it's statin intolerant and they flunk two statins, their, um, their drug or their insurance company will cover a PCSK9 inhibitor. Mm. So that's an area that's moving on pretty quickly. It started off with um, uh, antibodies, uh, fully humanized mouse antibodies against the PCSK9 molecule. Why would you ever do that? It's the, it actually started with the Dallas Heart finding that there were people who had a genetic abnormality that gave them an LDL of 10 or seven. And that was the first time we knew that humans actually could have that and your nerves don't fall apart and your, your brain doesn't go to mush. These are normal people living normal lives, athletic, you know, intelligent people. And so um, when they saw that this genetic deficiency uh, in the PCSK9 molecule, people started to try to reproduce it. And so mm-hmm. one of the best ways to do it was to create an antibody to it, which captures it, disables it. And so your PCSK9 K9 level goes way down. And PCSK9 is supposed to take your liver uh, LDL receptors and tell them, okay, you're done. And you're gonna be taken in by the liver and destroyed. If that molecule isn't around, the, the LDL receptors just keep doing what they're doing. And the LDL falls dramatically. Wow. So with an injection, once every two weeks, you get a, about a 60% reduction that stays down every time. If you just keep doing it every two weeks, that's that low level of LDL cholesterol stays way low. So mm-hmm. sometimes we use it with statins, not just for statin intolerance, but for people who can't get their LDL down far enough with, with a statin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the next thing that's going to happen in this area, people are still working on PCA, uh, PCSK9 you know, maybe it'd be nice to have something other than antibodies. And so mm-hmm. our dear friend, like we've been using for coronavirus, messenger RNA. Oh, really? So there, yeah, there are a couple of products. One of them should be uh, approved relatively soon. Uh, it's called Enclizoran. And okay. that PCSK9 inhibitor actually um, is only twice a year. It's like a vaccine with a booster. Yeah, kind of like that. And so, and it works really well. So we're in, anticipating wow. that, you know, the statin therapy will change a lot relatively soon, but, you know, wow. we'll see. Wow. So let's say this gentleman <clears throat> that I was referring to earlier, he's, his uh, cholesterol continues to harbor low. Mm-hmm. Would you, because he has a burden of disease and this past cardiac events, so of course he's at high risk, 
where would where would you move him in his therapy? Would you, of course, we're optimizing nutrition and adding things like the Brazil nuts and the AMO. It's certainly things I do. Where else would you would you say let's try some other medications if his cholesterol remained low? Not not if it's low. If it's okay. if it's below the target of fifty five, we don't have a lot of data on whether or not you'd even continue to use the statin. That is all our guidelines saying you had an acute coronary syndrome or you had a stroke or you have peripheral artery disease or whatever, mm-hmm. you're going to get high dose, maximum tolerated dose of statin, um, you know, and, and getting an LDL less than 55. If you're able to get it down with lifestyle, you know, we don't, we know the statins do other things. Mm-hmm. And so you may feel like you're missing something, but in the plant-based population, I think it'd be unusual to have a high sensitive, high uh, C-reactive. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and it's very LDL, rare. I measure them all the time. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And if those are low, uh, then maybe the person gets a pass, but it is a data-free zone. Uh, it's a bit mm-hmm. of conjecture on our part, extrapolating from the literature saying that for every tw- uh, 39 decrease in your LDL, you get a 22% decrease in future cardiac events. Wow. That's pretty powerful. And so right. if your LDL is really low, maybe you don't need anything else, but that's kind of one of those things we'd love to see. Yeah. And then, so that brings me to a question referring to someone who has disease. What about somebody who was a horrible diabetic, had high cholesterol and had hypertension, but then they go on and switch their diet. They reversed everything, but they'd been on a statin because of those risk factors in the past. They reverse everything. I mean, everything looks great. We pull them. Would you pull someone off that with the cholesterol? Is that number that that previous risk factors were there, but they haven't had a cardiac event or known cardiac disease? But sure. now those risk factors are gone. Where would you be? Where would we start that conversation about stopping the statin that was maybe already started? So I got two thoughts. Okay. <laughs> One <laughs> the risk factors, yes, calculator. My daughter and I playing chess. Um, <laughs> no, I would pull out the risk calculator. Okay. And if the risk is below the 7.5, then they really don't need the statin anymore. Okay. Um, now, the problem with that is that we do have a sort of a follow-up calculator. It will now tell you, is this a repeat of, and it's a slightly different algorithm mm. uh, because remember those, those LDL cholesterols are going to be really low because they're on the statin. So you right. kind of have to, you know, if you are inclined to take them off, then you take them off and, and follow them very carefully. Gotcha. Um, the other one that of course I want to say, which I talked about uh, a few minutes ago is coronary calcium. Yeah, mm-hmm. the person has a coronary calcium score at, that's elevated after all of those uh, risk factors for years, then yeah, they probably should be on at both aspirin and a statin if it's high gotcha. enough. Okay. And so well, I did have a question. So I had someone who has in that gray zone. So maybe their total cholesterol is like in the 170s, but their mm-hmm. LDL is maybe either like 104, 110, something like that. They have no cardiac events, minimal risk factors other than age and gender being male. And we go and I do the calculator with the patient because I can share my screen and do it. Tell how it's really awesome. Um, I put in their their total cholesterol, not on meds, is less than 130. The yeah. calculator tells me error. <laughs> so right. what do I do with that? So but their LDL is a little bit higher, though. It is above um, 100. So it really is hard. It's hard. That means you're, that your HDL is almost absent. Hmm. They have well, some, his, well, less than 130 and an yeah. LDL still of 100. That means your yeah. non-HDL cholesterol is less than one. So you'd have to have, you know, triglyceride of your suicides and almost no HDL mm. happen. So if that happens, patient is at a little bit of risk. Uh, and I really would go hard, heavy with 
the um, lifestyle manifestations right. to lower right. LDL. I mean, these people are perfect. Like, if you look at a perfect plant eater, like we're limiting, I mean, he's amazing. Like he's eating, he's doing really well. No oils and all, I mean, just every, no salts. This is very, very good. So we made the decision that he'd just watch it. And I mentioned the CAC score mm -hmm. and that they're considering it. So Ooh, that, yeah, it's $50 at most places. It's well worth it. Yeah, no and it's easy to order. Okay. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I know you have another meeting, but thank you so much for your time, Dr. Williams. We could talk for hours. We could. <laughs> I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening. And I hope you enjoyed that interview. And if you could, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating on whatever platform that you're listening to this podcast. We really appreciate the feedback. In addition to this, I did want to let you know that we actually do video recordings of all of our interviews. And if you'd rather watch them, you can check out our YouTube channel at Healthy Human Revolution. There we also have other resources for you. One in particular I'm really excited about is called The Doctor's Inn. That's where I actually answer questions from the audience and do tons of topics like cholesterol, hypertension, diabetes, and just things to help you stay well. So check it out. and. Also, don't forget the HealthyHumanRevolution.com website where you have all the resources you need to actually start and sustain a healthy, whole food, plant-based diet.